Let's read God's Word, Luke chapter 4 from verse 38. And he arose, that's Jesus, arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. Immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word... I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but Go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. And then he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. 
Well, as we return this afternoon to Luke the preacher, for that's what the gospel writers were. They were preachers, evangelists, as they are known, proclaiming the gospel to a world in need. Let's pay careful attention once again, not just to what Jesus did, although that is clearly the the main substance of what Luke is writing down, but what Luke is preaching to us as he tells us what Jesus did. That is what we most need to hear. And I think it's very, very striking that at the center of that passage that we've just read, there is that first confession, if you like, of Simon Peter when he saw the scale of the miraculous catch of fish. This is the centerpiece of what Luke is showing us. Anybody would have thought that uh, Simon, standing there with his business partners in, in the fishing industry, would have just been so delighted at this catch of fish, having caught nothing all night, that nothing would have entered their mind other than we can now uh, sell the fish and feed our families for the next three months. And if Jesus stays with us a bit longer and repeats this kind of thing again a few more times, then our business opportunities are going to grow. There's never been anything like this. For there never had been anything like this. But that's not what he says, is it? It's a remarkable and striking statement The boats are so full of fish that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, all he could do was fall at Jesus' knees, fall on his knees at Jesus' feet and say, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. We can assume that because Jesus said that to Simon, that he was very afraid, that he was absolutely full of fear about the scale and the enormity of what was happening. This was not just a boost to his bottom line of business as a fisherman. This was a world-changing event, and this person... Jesus Christ was someone entirely other and different from anyone else he had ever encountered. And we can take it, knowing as we do from the Gospels as a whole, that big, strong, brave Simon Peter was not just putting on an act as he fell to his knees that day and said, Lord, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. That was the honest, and heartfelt reaction from his mind and soul when he saw something, a glimpse of the power and the might of the Lord Jesus. But Jesus says, this is the amazing thing, you're afraid? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And we could say, well, why not? You know, if something of that immense scale and enormous power has just 
been seen and is, is in front of us. And this person of majesty and glory is intervened in such a dramatic way that we, we can't even begin to understand what's happening. We could say, well, of course he would be afraid, and I would be too. Why does Jesus say, don't be afraid? It's a strange thing, isn't it, for Jesus to keep saying to people, don't be afraid, when they are afraid. You see the same uh, on the, on the, in the resurrection passages when the gardener encounters uh, the disciples and says, now don't, don't be afraid, because they're terrified. Again and again in the Gospels, you see people who are terrified at the glory and power of Jesus. And Jesus' word to them is always, don't be afraid. Why not? Well, let's just look through what Luke tells us, and I think we'll find the answer as to why this afternoon we don't need to be afraid, even although we are in the presence of Almighty God himself. Look back to that section in chapter 4, first of all, uh, verses 38 to 44. And here we see Jesus' resolute purpose in the midst of chaos. Earlier in chapter 4, we have the temptation of Jesus in the desert and the altercation between Satan and the Son of God. We see there that the historical uh, Messiah, the historical eternal Son of God, has come down into the world to, to take on battle, as it were, with the powers of evil and Satan himself. And throughout those long 40 days and nights in the desert, Jesus emerges triumphant, never once failing or stumbling at the promises of the devil. And and then we're uh, taken on to Nazareth and the temple, and then we have this healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law at the end of uh, chapter 44. And it's as if Luke is saying, Jesus is not just more powerful than Satan and all of that is evil and all that is dark, in a kind of universal sense. There is, we can kind of look in on Jesus battling Satan in the desert and we can see his power. But Luke is saying to us, it's not just a universal uh, victory over Satan that Jesus brings. It is a personal thing. It comes right down into the midst of people's lives. Here is Simon uh, and his mother-in-law is dying, he thinks. She's extremely ill, at least, with this um, fever. And there is kind of chaos all around in this passage. There is the activity of the demons who are um, expelled uh, from people. Verse 35, be quiet, Jesus says to them, come out of him. And the demon threw the man down. That's just before the passage. And then we have it again in the passage that uh, we, re we read. The fever left her. And then loads of people are bringing their sick uh, relatives and friends to him. And demons came out of many of them, proclaiming, shouting, You are the Son of God. And he rebukes them too and wouldn't allow them to speak, 
because they know he was the Christ. And at daybreak, he goes off by himself. In this kind of scene of one of the, the multitudes all pressing into Jesus with their claims and needs and their relatives and wanting him to touch them, in all the chaos, you can imagine the noise and the crying and the delight and the sadness and the sickness and this demonic activity kind of overspilling in the midst of it. In the midst of all of that, Jesus is absolutely in control of every single thing that happens. He can silence a demon, rebuke a fever at the merest saying, speaking of a word. And then at the end of that little section, Jesus makes it clear as the chaos continues and the people want to keep him in that town. And he says, no, no, no. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns. That is why I was sent. Absolute clarity of purpose. How easy it might have been for him to think, well, there, are, there is so much need here. Why don't I just stay here and address all the need in all the lives of this town? But he knows that's not his mission. His mission is to go on and preach and teach the news of the kingdom of God and to show as many people as possible that he is the king of light, the son of God, the creator of the universe who can control and quell nature and evil forces at a word, to demonstrate without the shadow of doubt to as many as possible that the kingdom of God has come and that they need to repent and believe in him. That's his mission. That is why I was sent. Now I think throughout the history of the church, even within the New Testament documents themselves in the earliest days of the Christian church, there was a tendency for groups of believers to lose sight of that centrality of purpose, that singleness of mind that Jesus had about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Mark gives us the same, exactly the same uh, emphasis in the beginning of his gospel with uh, his account of John the Baptist and so on, that all the focus is on one who is coming more worthy than John, who will say, repent and believe the good news. That's why I've come. Turn away from your old life and believe in me. That's why I've come, to bring life through this message. And throughout the church, there's a tendency for Christ's followers to lose that sense of clarity that Jesus himself had. And the gospel writers tell us that he explained why he'd come and what he was about. We find it very helpful in, in our work with the 
Christian unions with UCCF to constantly be reminding students in the CEUs, the gathered communities of Christian believers and universities, that the CEU exists for one purpose only, to give every other student an opportunity to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And the more focus there is on that clear purpose statement, the more united each Christian union is around that, that mission, and, and the clearer they are about what they have to do and why they're there. Of course, there's all those voices from all, all around saying, couldn't the, the CUs help with this, and could we access the CUs to advertise that? Hundreds, 101 good things, but we say, no, we need to stick to our purpose. We exist for this one thing, to give every student an opportunity to hear the gospel. And Jesus had that clarity of purpose. And that, I think, as we carry on in the passage, will help us to understand why we don't need to be afraid. So let's move on then to chapter 5. We've had a resolute purpose in the midst of chaos. We see that very clearly. Secondly, in verses 1 to 11 of chapter 5, we've got revealed truth in the midst of life. It's a famous and dramatic event in the life of Jesus and the the earliest disciples right at the beginning of their three-year period of time with Jesus as their master and their Lord. And he's standing there by the lake and the people are crowding around him. It's the same kind of scene listening to his teaching, and Jesus gets into one of the boats because he he can't stay on the shore anymore. There's so many people, and uh, then he sits down and teaches using this boat as a, a little pulpit, as it were, so that the crowds can hear him preach. And then, extraordinarily, when he'd finished teaching, why does he do this? Presumably, he's doing it in some way to to illustrate what he's just been saying. He's been teaching this vast crowd about the kingdom of God. And then Simon Peter must have been so kind of shocked and confused, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon says, in effect, and this is the tone of it, if it wasn't you saying this, I wouldn't do it. I mean, it's crazy. We've been, out, we've been out all night. We've fished this shore for years. We've been out all night and caught absolutely nothing. So this pointless exercise of just putting the nets down 10 yards out into the deep water is, is seemingly ridiculous. But because it's you, Jesus, telling me to do it, I'll do it. And that's really the only reason, I think, that Peter obeys him. So they push the boats out and they let down the nets and there's so many fish that the nets are breaking and the boats are, dry, uh, are, are sinking under the weight of the catch and so on and so on. So now do you see why Peter says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. I thought what you commanded was utterly ridiculous. 
I thought when you said, push the boats out, Jesus, you're being a complete fool. I thought when you commanded me to do this, this is embarrassing and is going to undermine everything that you've just taught these thousands of people. I thought all of that and I knew myself to be right because I'm the expert. But now as I look at the boat sinking under the weight of fish and the catch spilling out all over the place, enough for months and months of business, I know that I am absolutely wrong and you are absolutely right. I am blind but proud and you are wise and what you say is true I am disobedient by nature when you speak, but when I obey what you say, it's always the right thing to do. So I feel so unworthy in your presence right now that I, all I can say is that I feel I need you to go away from me because I've made such a hash of it. It's typical Simon Peter. There's absolutely no filter between what he thinks and feels and what he says. It all just comes spewing out, unlike most of us. And what Luke is telling us is that when we recognize that Jesus is the powerful Lord who has sovereign authority over every evil and darkness thing in this world, the best thing we can ever do is make his voice the single source of ultimate authority over every area of my life. When he speaks, he speaks as Almighty God who quells the voices of demons at a word and says to me, a sinful person, now don't you be afraid. I'm on your side. I've come for you. And Simon Peter, such is the complete overthrow of your life. Your days of fishing are done. You're going to be catching men. And he, he could have gone on to say, you will be an apostle who will give your life proclaiming the truth about me. And in that moment, Simon Peter knew, if Jesus says it, I obey it. Was he going to be the perfect disciple from that day forwards? Well, no, we know, we know enough about Simon Peter through the rest of the Gospels that he was going to stumble and fall many times along the way. He hadn't gone in that instant from sinful man to on-the-blocks apostle ready to be martyred. In fact, this, this man, Simon Peter, who, who proclaims Jesus as Lord and knows his own sinfulness, is the one who would deny Jesus at the cross and run away and hide and disown him. But in the life of a follower, that's all covered 
Jesus says, you will, you will now be mine, you will catch men. And he could have added, when you stumble and fall, I can deal with that. But you are now mine. And those thousands of flopping fish were a kind of pictorial representation of the people who Jesus would be bringing into God's kingdom through men like Simon Peter. It's an extraordinary thing. But in the midst of it, Simon discovers the truth about himself, that he's a sinful man, the truth about Jesus, that he is Lord, and the truth about the authority of Jesus' words. When Jesus says, do it, do it. Why would we not? Why don't we sometimes? It's so easy to, rem to, to kind of re-engage with the world on a Monday morning when we've been with our church family and be immersed in school and work and family life and all the demands and responsibilities and all the burdens and the cares that are upon us. You look around a room like this and there's, you know, everything represented here from dealing with uh, family members who we're concerned about to grief to broken hopes to uh, the ups and downs, the sorrows that life brings crashing into us. In the midst of all of that, we tend to start to just think that we're the, just the same as everyone else. I bet, kids, when you're back at school tomorrow, your, your tendency is just to think, well, I'm just the same as everyone else. I'm learning French and maths like everyone else, or I've got to do this essay like everybody else, and I've got parents and they've got parents, and it, we're just the same. We're doing the same things, and it all looks the same. But the gospel tells us that in the middle of our Christian lives, Jesus has overthrown the issue of authority and overturned the issue of ownership. And when you're in the school classroom or when you're in the, the clinic with colleagues or the office with um, others who are a pain in the neck, you are the person who... Who, whose life has been tipped upside down, and you are the person who has understood in the presence of Jesus Christ that I'm a sinful person, and this is the Lord of the universe, and his word is my ultimate authority in life. And because of that, in essence, I am utterly different from everybody else. A human being made in God's image, the same as everybody, but someone who has been shown by God's grace that I'm a sinful person and Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. Look how Luke uh, goes on, and that's, by the way, why he says, don't be afraid. So everything's changed. And I'm, I'm now... Your Lord, Peter, and you're going to end up martyred on a cross. But don't be afraid, because I'm the Lord. 
Well, look how Luke um, finishes off in verses 12 to 16 of chapter 5, the reversal of death. It's not just that our lives in this world are overhauled and placed under new ownership and authority. Verses 12 to 16, death itself uh, is reversed. Luke here, uh, wise preacher, is showing that it's not just about Simon Peter that this issue of authority can be established. This is what happens wherever Jesus goes. So here's another example, Luke says. When Jesus went into one of these towns that he said he had to go to, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Here's an instance of it. He's saying, here's an instance of the Lord of life bringing life and expelling darkness. And he he reaches out his hand and touches the man and the leprosy leaves him. And that is the first time in the scriptures that the unclean becomes clean through human contact. All the way through the law of Moses, it's the other way around. If you touch a dead body, you are then unclean. The uncleanness goes from the sinful to the clean. But here, when it's Jesus, the cleanness reverses the uncleanness in the human being. Because Jesus is turning back the tide and reversing the effects of sin and the fall in this world. He's doing nothing less than that. Those those gates and flashing swords that came into existence at the time of the, the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were expelled forever from the presence of God. And clean and unclean are separated with the need for a priesthood and a temple to bridge the gap. But here in Jesus... That is all being reversed so that people can enter once again and touch and receive and be cleansed. News about him spreads all the more despite the fact that he says don't tell anyone yet. And the chaos continues and the crowds come near him to be healed of their sicknesses and Jesus often goes to lonely places and prays. So don't be afraid because Jesus is Lord over all the powers of darkness in this world. And don't be afraid because Jesus has established in your Christian life his seal of ownership and his voice of authority. And his voice is very effective, isn't it? Go and put those nets out in that bit of water. And at the power of his word, there's more fish than the fisherman could imagine. Don't be afraid. He will speak. And it will happen. Don't be afraid, because you've been cleansed forever. And Jesus has brought you near to your Father, you, me, Sinful people who would naturally and rightly say, depart from me. But he says, come to me. Come to me. Don't be afraid. And Luke 
desperately wants us this Sunday afternoon to understand that very deeply, very personally, and very permanently. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we are so often afraid. We are so full of anxieties and fears, none of which are logical in the presence of your Spirit, none of which are things that can't be overcome by the peace that you establish in our lives. We recognize today, Lord, that we are actually able to live through whatever life brings, because you are Lord. We are even able to live through death itself, because you are Lord. And so establish your peace within us, we pray, by the power of your word. And use us this week to point others to Jesus because we are those who don't need to be afraid. In Jesus' name, amen.